So I think of minimalism as being radically intentional, and that's with what you buy, what you bring into your home, but it's also like who you bring into your life, who you spend time with, what energy you choose to put out into the world. And so I think that um, the reason people get so freaked out about the word minimalism or minimalist moms and they kind of recoil in fear is that there's this idea perpetuated that minimalism is about breaking up with all the things you care about. But you and I both know minimalism really is about making your life better and creating more freedom and ease and joy. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. Joining me for her second appearance on the show is professional organizer and author Shira Gill. In Shira's latest book, Organized Living, she takes readers on a global tour of home organizers learning organizing pro tips along the way. People are naturally curious about the homes of professional organizers. Organized Living was inspired by her desire to provide a glimpse into this rarely seen world, the homes of people that organize for others. So as a preview to the book, Shira is here to share a few of her favorite tips regarding common organizing pitfalls, living with kids, sustainable solutions, and much more. But quickly, before we get there, I want to share my minimalist resource with you all this week. It's actually a person. I want to share Dr. John Deloney. If you haven't heard of him before, he is a great follow on Instagram, and he's part of the Dave Ramsey Network. Just has some really great thoughts about parenting, mental health, marriage, and relationships, who seems to be beloved by a wide variety of people. So again, it's Dr. John Deloney. I'll link his Instagram in the show notes. And then lastly, as a reminder, if you've been enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever really you listen to podcasts. Those reviews help others find the show, which again, if it's been a benefit to you, why not share that with others? All right, let's get into the conversation with Shira Gill. Shira, how are you today? Hi, good. It's so nice to be back again. (laughs) I know. I'm excited to have you back for the second time. And you have your new book coming out. And Minimalista was why you were here for the first time, which is so funny. I just was interviewing Laura Fenton. And yeah, I know you guys are friends. But her recommended resource was that book. Oh, that's so nice. Well, I recommend her book all the time. So it's a mutual love fest. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But you're here today to talk about your new book, Organized Living, which is just as lovely as the first one. I'm excited to have had the chance to get a sneak peek, I guess you'd say. But before we get into it and get into our conversation about simplifying and minimalism today, why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with my work, I am a values-based organizer. I'm an author and a life coach. So I merge home organizing, life coaching, and minimalism to help people feel uh, clear both physical and mental clutter. As you mentioned, I'm the author of Minimalista, and now my new book, Organized Living, um, is coming out in a few weeks from when we're recording this. How would you describe that these two books that you've written are different? Minimalista and you have Organized Living. What's the difference between the two books? Great question. So Minimalista is really my philosophy and toolkit. So it breaks down um, my process into actionable steps to help readers edit and organize and style their homes based on their values. Um, And so that is kind of the culmination of me being a home organizer for 15 years in people's homes. And it's like, every single thing that I learned during that long career. And then organized living was this idea that I had, like taking a solo walk a few years ago. And I realized, 
you know, I was in this kind of funny position of having access to the homes of home organizers just because I'm friends with so many of my colleagues. And every time I went to a different home organizer's house, I would come home with a new hack or a new tip or some inspiration. And so essentially, I pitched this idea to my publisher and I said, what if I traveled around the world interviewing and touring the homes of home organizers and could bring readers um, this kind of unique glimpse into the actual way that home organizers organize, including people in tiny spaces, big spaces, with kids, without kids. So I really wanted it to be kind of a showcase of how organizing could be for everyone and could look completely different depending on where you live, what your family looks like, what your values are. Um, So that is the next book that's coming out. So that's more about other people's toolkits and philosophies than my own. Absolutely. And again, you said you were interviewing people for this book across the world, including Mexico City, Paris, New York, London, Lisbon. So it's definitely a worthwhile read and flipping through to get some of those tips because everyone does it just slightly different. I think that's why there's space for all of us because we all have a different approach. We all have a different sound, I guess, even in what we're putting out. But yeah, I think it's really cool that you gathered this information and have put your culmination of what you've learned in this book. But I want to talk about one of the things that I know you've spoken to, and it's how organizing has become linked to consumerism and how to organize more sustainably. It's something that I think you're right. I think that we have spent way too much money on all the organizational stuff prior to decluttering our homes. Why don't you go ahead and explain that a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, what I've noticed is home organizing is a newer profession and it became super popular during the pandemic, especially because I think everyone was home and maybe had more time on their hands and noticed the cost of clutter. And what I noticed was the kind of widely popularized version of home organizing that we see on TV or in magazines. Um, To me, at least, it looks like this kind of cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all sea of rainbows and color-coded pantries and rows of labeled plastic bins. And as someone who... um, both personally cares a great deal about sustainability. And also, you know, I live in Berkeley, California, so it's kind of the hub of sustainability um, in the country. And we, you know, we compost and we're concerned with reusing and recycling and all of that. I think I started seeing not just in my own home, but my clients were asking for more sustainable solutions and saying, I don't actually care about, you know, color coding and buying like tons of different chip bags so that my pantry looks like it's out of a magazine. I just want to be able to find my keys or I want my kids to be able to clean up, you know. And so the point that I really want to drive home is that, you know, if you're like a rainbows and plastic kind of gal, no judgment. But there are so many other ways to get organized. And in terms of sustainability, um, I always look to shop my own home or my clients' homes before I go buy anything. So that can literally just look like, you know, if we do a closet edit, um, oh, we want to put all the belts in a bin. Hey, do you have a bin or a basket or a shoebox or anything we can use as a vessel, right? Like anything can be a vessel. Um, Or even in a pantry, like decanting has become so popular and 
I am a happy decanter in my own pantry. I love the airtight um, glass jars, which do keep food um, fresher longer. But you don't need to go spend $1,000 on new containers. You can rinse out a jam jar or use a mason jar or um, clean out a can of tomato sauce that's been used. And there's so many easy ways to repurpose things that you already own. So I always tell people, like, before you run out and hit the stores, shop your own home. Think about, do I really need to add a container or a vessel? Is that actually going to elevate my organizing? Is it necessary? Just being a little bit more slow and intentional about it. Absolutely. Because sometimes it's lovely, but it's not functional. In our old house, I would try and do some of that. I'm not trying to throw the home at it. I always feel like I'm speaking about the home at it. But that type of style. Sorry, that's the only people I know that really are for that look. But when I've had that implemented, it just wasn't as functional. And then I was trying to keep it so nice. So then you're less productive and you're spending time moving things back and forth when really it's like maybe a few things we can decant. I have our pasta and our rice and oats. Like we have some of those things in our little clear jars. But then like you said, I will spend a little bit more money on the nice jars at the grocery store. And then it's like, hey, I have this nice jar that I can reuse for when we take soup to nature group or leftovers. I mean, the the uses are endless, I would say. But we have to remember function. And then on the same kind of wavelength of all of that is why are we doing it? Because who's going to see it outside of us unless we're taking pictures of it for social media? Right. Contributing <laughs> to all these things. Yes. I know there's that whole kind of like keeping up with the Joneses pressure, which I think let's just have your pantry be your pantry and have it feel good for you and how you like to cook. And, you know, for me, because it is my profession, my house is photographed for magazines. I probably care more than the average person. But at the same time, I realize that the um, airtight glass jars that I wanted to decant everything in, they weren't functional for my kids. My kids weren't opening them and like the clicks were hard for them. And so I ended up just taking a big basket and everything that's kid-friendly gets dumped in this basket. And so it's still nice to look at. It's a pretty basket, but it's like such an easy, you know, foolproof system that my kids can maintain. So I think it is looking at like, what's actually going to be functional and practical? And then are there some fun ways to elevate Elevate it without taking away that functionality. Which I think that's one of the, your podcast episode was Minimize Then Elevate. I think that was the name of it. And it was one of the top episodes we ever had because you really dove deep into that thought of, okay, we can have this and now it's functional, but how do we just elevate it a little bit so we can enjoy our spaces? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it's, it was, um, edit then elevate. So yeah, yeah, you got it. And that's, I mean, that is kind of the key to all of my organizing is if you start by editing and you clear the clutter first, there will be very little organizing to do. And then you can kind of treat yourself by elevating if you wish to, and you don't have to, you know, there are plenty of people that are like, I just want a system that I can use. I'm busy. And I don't need to go spend money on X, Y, and Z. For some people like me, I'm super sensitive to my environment and having a cohesive aesthetic and matching baskets. It brings me joy on a daily basis. So it is worth, you know, investing in a handful of things. But I think the key is to step back and think like, what do I want for my home and my life that has nothing to do with what anyone else is doing? Yes. And it's funny because you and I are both having this conversation and I was going to, you somewhat answered my question, but we're sitting here with white backgrounds. We have these white walls and 
I think that oftentimes people think, oh, I can't be a minimalist or they hear the name minimalist moms or minimalista and they're like, oh, minimalism, not for me. I want to live with less, but I'm not a minimalist. And I think that we're kind of perpetuating that stereotype with our white behind us. (laughs) We are. (laughs) We are. We are. But like you just said, the aesthetic and having it I don't know. I feel at peace with my walls this way and they're not cluttered. They are more sparse than your average home. So anyways, my question to you, I guess, would be to encourage people that they aren't minimalist and that's totally fine. We're not trying to say you have to be, but how would you encourage them in their own homes, even if it's not going to look like yours or mine? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the big the big misconception about minimalism is that minimalism is not about restriction. It's about freedom. And it's about saying no to the wrong things so that you can create space for the right things, whatever that means to you, right? So I think of minimalism as being radically intentional, and that's with what you buy, what you bring into your home, but it's also like who you bring into your life, who you spend time with, what energy you choose to put out into the world. And so the reason people get so freaked out about the word minimalism or minimalist moms and they kind of recoil in fear is that there's this idea perpetuated that minimalism is about breaking up with all the things you care about. But you and I both know minimalism really is about making your life better and creating more freedom and ease and joy. And so in my process, you know, I think most of my clients that I work with would not ever describe themselves as minimalists, but after they go through my process, they have an intentional home and an intentional life. And so that looks really different. Like I can never tell anyone, here's how many coffee mugs you should own, or here's how many handbags. How could I possibly know? You know, my Version of minimalism is about defining your own version of enough and your own unique style. So the other myth I kind of want to dispel is you can be a minimalist and you can paint your room rainbow or you can have like a hot pink leather sofa. You get to make minimalism look however you want. The key is it's about identifying the things that you care about and that bring you value and letting go of the things that are just creating noise and distraction and clutter. Absolutely. Did you say at the beginning that you've gotten into life coaching? Yeah. So I am a certified life coach, which I actually got my life coach certification because after spending so many years in people's homes, I realized like nearly every client I worked with would burst into tears at some point during our session. And it's such deeply vulnerable personal work. I started seeing these themes come up of people feeling so much shame about their clutter or their disorganization or the state of their home. And I felt like, well, I know how to help them in terms of physically organizing, but I also wanted to have a a deeper toolkit to help with the emotional side of letting go and of reducing the judgment. And, you know, women in particular can be so hard on themselves. And I think the pressure to do everything perfectly, to be the perfect mom and have the perfect home, it's just such a toxic um, set of standards that we put on ourselves. So in becoming a life coach, I've learned all of these really useful tools just not only for myself, but for my clients and for the people that I teach around letting go of all of that pressure and learning that there really is no upside to beating yourself up or judging yourself. Um, Even if you are like sitting surrounded by shopping bags and you have so much regret, the regret isn't going to get you anywhere, right? But 
deciding how you want to live today and how you want to shop more mindfully moving forward can be very useful and constructive. I also want to say on top of that and empowering women that, again, their homes might not look like what you have in your book or what I currently have behind me. I haven't shown you what's in front of me on purpose. Ah, yes. (laughs) I think that to empower people to say not every area of your home may be the most minimalist or the most appealing. However, those spaces that you're regularly in, try and get those to a point that you can really enjoy and that you can exist in comfortably. And again, if that's the entryway when you walk into your house, the bathroom, the living room, a space that you have of your own, your your desk, and then other spaces, get to them when you can. And maybe it's just a seasonal thing where right now I have two dog crates in my side room because we're trying to crate train my puppy and the old dog just enjoys being next to him. <laughs> but it's not what I want to see. It's not that I, I don't love it, but it's it's the season. Totally. I mean, I went through so many seasons with having, you know, a baby and a toddler and a puppy. And you have to kind of remind yourself, like, this is life. Like, we're not living in a glossy magazine. We're actually living lives. And sometimes the mess of life can be lovely to embrace, to kind of look around and say, you know, I'm feeling lucky that I have kids or I have a dog. And part of that, you know, part of what goes along with that is is mess and stuff. And you get to decide how much energy you want to put in. Like I know some women that I've talked to just feel like they're playing whack-a-mole all day with like cleaning something up and then their toddler takes it out again and cleaning it up. And, you know, it's just like sometimes it can be a gift to yourself to just say, you know what, during this season, my house is going to look a little rough around the edges and that's okay. It's not a problem. And I know that when my kids get a little older and I can teach them about how to be more helpful around the house, then we can have a shift. But Really, the the big thing is that I hope that women stop using organizing against themselves instead of seeing it as a tool to create more spaciousness and freedom and even joy in their lives. Because that's really why I'm in this industry is that it's done that for me. And that's kind of the message that I want to propel forward is that this is not about perfectionism. It's about coming up with simple systems that can make the flow of your daily life easier. So for the last couple of years, I've really wanted an Apple Watch, and I finally got one for my birthday. But you know what? It is just data. My watch will tell me how much I slept, how far I walked yesterday. However, it doesn't tell me exactly how to use the information to improve my health and wellness. And at this point, I don't have time to download and analyze the data. That's where my friend, Dr. Eric Quorum, comes into play. Eric was my guest back on episode 286. He's a sports scientist, and he's built an amazing app called AIM7 that turns your wearable, like your Apple Watch, Aura Ring, Fitbit, etc., into personalized recommendations for exercise, recovery, and mental fitness. This app tells you exactly what you need to do each day to look, feel, and perform better, and it's all tailored to things that I like to do. Not only that, it also improves your ability to adapt to stress and become a more resilient person. Over 500 people have used this solution since it launched, and in just 30 days, the average AIM7 member sleeps 16% better, is 19% more motivated, has 13% more energy, has 15% less stress, and lastly, 17% improvement in their mood. If this sounds interesting to you, you can try AIM7 for free for 7 days and then just pay $1 for your first month by using code MINAIM7, all caps, M-I-N-A-I-M-7, on their website. The link is in the show notes. 
So we've slightly gotten off topic of your new book, and I want to get back. <laughs> so I want to talk more about organized living and some of these homes that you saw and some of the advice that you were given. I just want a few of the standout tips that maybe you heard that you hadn't after all these years being in the organizational, organi- organizing, organization, <laughs> the industry. You're part of the industry. So what was something that stood out to you that you could share with the listeners? Yeah, I have a few. I mean, it's funny because I had been in the industry so long and obviously I've worked with a ton of people, but working with very different organizers who have totally different styles and totally different toolkits, there were some things that really stood out to me. So one that I just saw again and again was organizers love to create a station. So in most of the houses I was in, it was like, you drink coffee, there's a coffee station. You like a, a smoothie, here's a smoothie bar. Um, you know, your kids are at that point where they're doing art and homework all the time. Let's make a homework and art station. And and really simple, like most of the stations were just kind of corralling similar things into a tray and calling it a station. Um, but I saw that a lot. I'm in a much smaller home, so I don't have many stations because we're at such a premium with space, but I loved, I mean, somebody even had like a movie watching station with like popcorn and treats and remotes. And so that idea of like making anything that you do regularly into a station, I thought was really fun. Um, One of the more unique tips I saw was an organizer who was sick of seeing all of her old busted um, game boxes, like the cardboard game boxes. So she unboxed all of them. She used a single drawer for all of the um, boards. And then she decanted all of the puzzle pieces into individual little canisters. And she had it, it almost looked like art in her living room. It was so cute. And I just thought, well, that's kind of a genius way of making all of your games last longer. And she said that her and her family play games all the time now because they just see them out and they're, you know, easily accessible. Um, What was, oh, one of the surprising takeaways for me was how few linens organizers own. Like shocking. Like many of them only owned one set of linens and they just had them on their beds and then They'd throw them in the laundry and put them straight back on their beds. And some of that was a small space hack. Like some people don't have linen closets, so there's actually nowhere to store backup bedding. But I just thought the idea of never having to fold linens again was like pretty revolutionary. And I noticed that in some very small houses, but also in larger houses that organizers felt on the whole, like people have way too many linens and too many towels. And you can really get away with having like one or two sets. Um, and so things like that. The other thing, I mean, I am i don't have a handy bone in my body, but there were so many clever DIY hacks. I saw people, you know, making their own jewelry hangers out of wine corks and, you know, things that I had never heard of, like cutting a pool noodle to create a boot shaper. Um, and all of these hacks are listed in the book. So every organizer has their own chapter and it kind of goes through their story and their tips and their house tour. And then at the end, um, I created a really concise list of tips and takeaways so that readers can kind of pick and choose what works for their life and their home. So there's everything from these kind of wild DIY hacks to just really simple things like make a coffee station by putting a tray on your counter and all of a sudden it's all contained. Um, 
The one other thing, which I guess it's less home and more life hack, but one of the organizers, um, Jen Robin, I saw her phone and I kind of gasped and all of her apps were organized by color. So like all of her red apps were in a red folder and all of her blue apps. And I was just so struck by how beautiful it was to look at that I ended up doing it and realized that I actually think of my apps by color anyway. Like I know that Waze is blue and, you know, and so I've organized my phone now that way and it's been kind of a a game changer. <laughs> okay. So on the flip side of the great things that you have seen and that you encourage your clients with, what are some pitfalls that you've seen people fall into and just some mishaps that they have when it comes to organization? Again, we want people to feel encouraged that they can move even slowly through their homes, but they can still do it. And I think sometimes we get tripped up with um, with whatever, fill in the blank. You have, I'm sure you've seen yeah. these things. Yeah. Yeah. The big ones that I see again and again, I would say like the number one most common organizing pitfall is just shopping before decluttering and organizing. You know, we've been fed a bill of goods that containers are going to solve all of our problems. And it seems so easy to just run out to the container store and buy all of these fun bins and baskets and labels and dividers. But the truth is, you don't need to buy anything to get organized. And often it just makes people feel more overwhelmed because they have now more volume of stuff to contend with. So I would say, like, number one tip that I offer people who are feeling overwhelmed in their homes is just to challenge themselves to a purchase pause. And that could be a few weeks. I typically recommend a month. But just so that you can pause and work with what you've got and kind of assess what you have and declutter without having more things coming in so you feel like it's this Sisyphusian, like, never-ending task where you're, like, pushing a rock up a mountain and then there's more stuff coming. So number one tip is just take a break from buying um, other than, of course, like, shampoo and food and, you know, the daily necessities for your family. But if you take even a month break, you can start to notice when do you have the desire to buy is it born out of an emotional desire? Like for me, I know I typically am online shopping if I'm bored or I'm lonely or I'm stressed out. It's almost never that I actually need a new purse or, you know, a new houseware. And so I think slowing down and saying, I'm just going to take it one thing at a time without bringing anything new into my house. Um, the other big one is just people tend to bite off more than they can chew. So I think with no shade to Marie Kondo, but I think what she kind of popularized with this idea of take everything out, you know, all of your clothes. And for someone who's a mom with multiple kids, taking out all the clothes is like a monstrous task that would overwhelm even the most expert professional organizer. So I always try to break things into the most micro, tiny tasks imaginable. So if that's, I want to declutter my closet, instead of taking everything out and then all of a sudden you have to go run and pick your kids up and now you just have this massive mess to contend with when you get home, taking a micro category, even like your socks and saying, I'm just going to set a timer for 15 minutes. I'm going to edit my socks. Anything with holes, I'll either mend or I'll take to textile recycling or donate to a homeless shelter. But like this one tiny task can actually make you feel much more organized and productive than trying to organize a whole closet and making no progress. So those little tiny steps, I practice something called the 15-minute win. 
And it's just pick one tiny task, set a timer for 15 minutes and see what you can do. And that's a drawer or a countertop or like one tiny category, even decluttering your purse or handbag or sitting with your child and saying, let's go through your backpack and recycle all the old art and homework can be such a major win. And it's all of those little tiny wins that add up to huge transformation over time. So I think if you feel so overwhelmed, just say like, I'm taking this 15 minutes at a time. And I promise if you can do 15 minutes a day, like that's seven projects you've completed in just a week. Yeah. Well, and better yet, if you can get your spouse on board with it, my husband and I will also both kind of tag team the basement. That's the most cluttered space I'd say of our house. And if we both hit 15 minutes, if we say, okay, this weekend, we're each going to hit 15 minutes once a day, that's an hour that we've spent on the on the basement. And so again, it may not seem like a lot, but you can get quite a bit done in an hour worth of time. Yeah. And such a good point with bringing in your husband or partner or spouse or Mm -hmm. kids, because what I see is this kind of internalized belief that like all of the housework is women's work. Mm -hmm. And I see women who are just so overwhelmed And I started having my kids help like from the time they were two. And there's so many things that kids can do and they like to be helpful. And, you know, kids love a label maker. They love grouping things by color or by type. So I think instead of shouldering the whole burden, look for ways that you can involve your family and, um, and feel like it really is a group task. Absolutely. Well, Shira, did you have any other final word of encouragement? I wasn't sure if you could bring new information to this podcast episode. I'm like, I've heard it all. I've heard all the (sighs) tips, but this was excellent. So do you have any final word that you want to leave listeners with? Oh, thanks. Um, No, I mean, I think the big thing that I want to drive home is just that organizing can and should look different for everyone. So I just want to sort of invite people to think about how do they want their homes to look and feel and function? And if you can remove yourself from some of the the images or the pressures that you may feel and really um, think of it as like a creative invitation to create the home and the life you want and make it fun and creative instead of burdensome and full of pressure. Absolutely. Well, where can listeners grab a copy of your book or connect with you online? Organized Living, my new book, is available anywhere books are sold. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or order from your small indie bookstore. Um, You can learn more about me, sign up for my free newsletter at shiragill.com. There's tons of free tips and resources there as well. Perfect. Well, I don't know if we did this last time you were here, but now I ask two questions to every guest before they go. And the first one is, what's been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? And it's organizing. It could be anything that has been helpful to you. Oh, I love that. Um, Gosh, let's see. I mean, a book that's really inspired me for years is a book called The Compound Effect. And it actually relates a lot to what we've been talking about. It's like the power of small, smart, consistent action. And it's a book I go back to again and again when I feel overwhelmed or just need a little like burst of inspiration. So I would highly recommend that book, The Compound Effect. Absolutely. Well, I'll look up the author and make sure I include that in the show notes. And it sounds like I read that one as well. It's a good one. (laughs) All right. Well, my last question is, what is something you can't stop talking about? And this can be something frivolous and fun or serious, whatever you can't stop talking about. 
<laughs> I can't stop talking about the series White Lotus on HBO, and I'm so desperate for it to come back, but we're in the middle of a writer's strike and an actor's strike, so I, I just keep re-watching The White Lotus again and again until that happens. I can't remember. I had someone say the same thing, and we were just raving about White Lotus, and I was so excited because I figured we'd have a new season by the fall. I <laughs> so sad. I know. I know. We're going to have to be really patient. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, I love White Lotus, too. I got sucked in. It was one of the first television shows I'd watched in years, and it was oh wow. yeah yeah yeah. It's really it's really beautiful and well done, and kind of dark humor, which I love. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, Shira, thank you again for sharing your book with us today. Again, it's Organized Living, and it's available on what day? Oh, October third is when it's out all over the world. Awesome. Well, I hope listeners pre-order Perfect. and get that copy because it's beautiful. So, thanks again for sharing it with us. Thanks so much for having me. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.